You know what? One of these days I'm going to remember to pick up this microphone before we start singing that last song. And that way we'll go ahead and be ready. And I don't have to be going to the back. Y'all think I'm leaving and all that kind of stuff. And we'll come back up. Good to see you this morning. So thankful you're here. We have guests today. We're so thankful that you've chosen to be with us. I want you to know that you're welcome here with us at Midway. Now, as we begin our lesson today, we're going to have to have some audience participation. Okay? Don't normally ask for that, but I need some audience participation this morning in the form of you raising your hand, if you will. And if you're embarrassed to do that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. But if you're not embarrassed to do it, you can raise your hand. Just want to know this morning how many folks who are here are on Facebook and have more than a hundred Facebook friends. If you have more than a hundred Facebook friends, raise your hand. Now, now I see a lot of folks, you know, some got them down here and some got them way up here, but, but we're glad you got them up. How many have more than 200 Facebook friends? Okay, hold them up. I, I, I want to be able to say, how many have more than 300 Facebook friends? Anybody? 400 Facebook friends? Anybody got more than 400 Facebook friends? Tuesday morning when I started preparing this lesson, I looked at my number over on the side, you know, and I said, 835 Facebook friends. And I was feeling pretty good about myself. You know, I got that many friends. And then I looked at some of my friends, and they had over 3,000 friends. So I didn't really feel that good after that anymore. You know, when you start thinking about all of those Facebook friends... I, I, I can't help but wonder how many of those folks we really know. I know a lot of the folks who are friends on Facebook with me. I've never met them before. Uh, I know them and am friends with them because I'm friends with somebody else and we had a mutual agreement, you know, to be a friend on Facebook or they friended me because they knew somebody else and those kind of things. And I, I know that happens, but, you know, it's sort of like this guy right here. He said, I've got, a hun- I've got hundreds of Facebook friends that I've never met. And that other guy, you see what he told him, don't you? When I was young, we called them imaginary friends. And that's really sometimes what we have when we have Facebook friends, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying the folks who are on Facebook who are our friends that they're not nice people. And I'm not saying this morning that they're not good people. I've got a lot of friends who are Facebook friends that I've never met, but I've heard things about them, and I know they're nice, and I know they're good. And and I'm not saying this morning that it's wrong to have Facebook friends, but in reality, a lot of the folks who are are friends with us on Facebook are are what we might call imaginary friends. They're, They're not really our friends at all. You see, if I was sick and in the hospital... They wouldn't come and visit me, and they wouldn't come and visit you. Your friends, wouldn't, a lot of them like that, wouldn't do that. And if you needed money to, to help pay some kind of bill, uh, they probably wouldn't, wouldn't be the one that you called on because they probably wouldn't open up their pocketbook and, and share with you so that you could pay the things that you needed to pay. Or, or if you were stranded on a highway late one night, and you decided that you would call just randomly one of your Facebook friends, uh, would you expect that particular friend to come and pick you up off of the side of the road? Probably not. They're, they're really not the people who know us the best. They're not the ones who know the details of our life. They're not the ones who know what we struggle with. Well, I don't know if that's a good illustration or not, because 
A lot of folks are posting a lot of things on Facebook that probably shouldn't be on there anyway, but maybe they do know what you're struggling with, but in reality they don't know everything down in our heart, do they? So when we're thinking about the Facebook friends, they're good folks, I'm sure. But here's the point this morning. You see, God created us to need other people. He didn't create us to need a phone with a picture of some person that we've never met that would fulfill our life to the point that needs to be fulfilled. God created us to need other people. You see, when God looked and saw man in the garden, Adam, after he had created him, and said, it's not good that man should be alone. God had marriage in mind, but he had more than that in mind as well. He knew that we needed healthy personal relationships because that is part of His plan for us. It can be seen in the relationship that we have in our family. It can be seen in the relationships that we have in our church family as well. And no wonder the Lord decided that that as He was constructing His plan of redeeming man, that He would include His church so we could get together in gatherings like we have this morning, but, but more than that, to share our life with, to have personal relationships with one another. And as we think about these kinds of things, we, we learn about friends. And we learn what God wants us. You know, today we're probably more connected than at any other time in the history of the world. We do have things like Facebook and Twitter and and all of the social media sites and all of the kinds of things that, that are like that. And we have all of those things, and yet we're probably more lonely than we've ever been in a lot of cases. There are a lot of lonely people out here in our world. God knew that we needed face-to-face relationships to have here on this earth. We need people who will really care about us. People who know us and know us well, and watch this, and love us anyway, in spite of the flaws that we have in our life. We need people to share life with daily. You know, sometimes when I'm conducting uh, wedding ceremonies, We talk about in in the wedding ceremony the fact that when two come together, they have another person to share their life with that, that multiplies the joys as well as divides up and lessens the, the problems that we have, the heartaches that we have to share in those things. We need people in our life who share daily life, who, who we can laugh with and who we can cry with. We need people who are like that in our life. We need people to call on in the times when we have struggles and when we're struggling with things in our life that we need help with and we need encouragement from. We need people to enjoy living life with. As I think about friends, I'm reminded of Jesus. Have you ever looked at Jesus by the numbers? What do you mean by that? Well, when you think about Jesus by the numbers... We first see him with the multitudes, don't we? There are numerous passages of Scripture, like the one in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. There the Bible says this, And he came down with them and stood on a level place 
with a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear Him to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Now watch this in verse number 19. And the crowd sought to touch Him. You've got thousands of people and they, they wanted to touch Him because in that passage the Bible says that power came out from Him. But here are these thousands of people. We know that on occasion there were probably tens of thousands of people who came together with Him. On one occasion, the Bible speaks about Jesus, as you very well know, feeding 5,000, and that's the way that we read it a lot of times, but in reality the Bible says there were actually 5,000 men besides the women and children. And so we're likely talking about tens of thousands of people who were there. Another occasion when Jesus fed 4,000 men besides the women and the children. And so again, we're probably talking upwards of 10,000 people who were there on that particular day. But on this occasion in the book of Luke, we have multitudes who were there. And can you imagine on a regular basis, day after day, going out with thousands of people who want to get close to you and put their hands on you and touch you? You would think that that would be all that a person would need. But just ask a movie star or a rock and roll uh, celebrity of some kind who is constantly in the public eye with people flashing uh, cameras in their faces and, and people just trying to touch them. It's a lonely life. Jesus had multitudes around him. Besides that, the Bible speaks about how Jesus had the 72. In the book of Luke again, in the, the book of uh, chapter 10 at verse number 1, the Bible says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Uh, he appointed them to go and to spread the word. 72 others who were, who were going out two by two, the Bible says, to, to, to prepare people to hear Him, to hear His message. And so... You drop from the multitudes down to the 72 workers who were there with him, co-workers if you will, those who were friends of Jesus, who were willing to tell others about him and about his message, about what he meant, 72. But then not only do you see Jesus by the numbers with the multitudes and the 72, there were the 12 as well. The 12 apostles as we know them, the Bible speaks about how he chose them, um, in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, and how that he made them his, his close friends, I guess you might say, in training them and, and gave them actually the mission to spread the, world, uh, spread the word into the world after his death and ascension back into heaven. And so Jesus is traveling, the multitudes are around him, this 72 he chose from the multitudes that he would send out and tell others, but, but then there were also these 12 that were with him, and then there were the three. Out of those 12, Jesus had three who seemed to be quite special to him, Peter, James, and John. And we see upon at least two occasions in Scripture where Jesus would have them do more and be closer to him, if you will, than he did the rest of the apostles who were with him. 
You see, Peter, James, and John were chosen by Jesus to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration to actually see Jesus as He is transfigured with Moses and Elijah and to be able to be there and to see that. And then not only that, but if you read in the book of John as well, Jesus, or rather Matthew chapter 26, you read how Jesus has gone into the garden to pray and the apostles have gone with Him on that night for uh, the one who would betray Him, Judas. But He took Peter, James, and John just a little bit farther. And He specifically charged them with something there in the book of Matthew chapter 26. And so I guess you might say that out of the twelve, Jesus had these three who were closer friends, but then there was the one. In the book of John, we read about the one whom Jesus loved. Sitting around in, um, uh, as Jesus was about to be uh, crucified the, the, that very night, Jesus made the statement that he would be crucified, that one of them. And the Bible never identifies this man, but it simply calls him the man whom Jesus loved the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one whom Jesus loved. And then at the cross, you do remember that as Jesus is hanging there, His own mother is down at the foot of the cross, and He looks down at the disciple whom He loved. And He said, Behold, your mother. And He took her into His house, and He took care of the mother of Jesus. Evidently, uh, Joseph had passed on at this time, and and he needed, she needed someone to take care. So what do we have? We have Jesus surrounded by the multitudes. We have Jesus with the 72. We have Jesus with his closer friends, the 12. We have Jesus with his inner circle of friends, the three. We have Jesus with his best friend, evidently, John. And so as we look at him, we, we see Jesus by the numbers. You know, Jesus knew something about human relationships. And as we study through the Word of God, we see that unfold before us. We see that, that, that He knew that He needed these people in His life as He experienced the same things that you and I experience on a daily basis. Jesus knew about human relationships. But you know what? Even among those friends that we have who are here with us, who are face-to-face with us. Some of them are really like the Facebook friends in real life. They're not really friends at all. Such was the case even with Jesus. He experienced that very thing when one of his own betrayed him. And then later his own followers would deny him. Jesus would experience the disappointments of friendship. Sometimes our own friends aren't there when we need them. They disappoint us, they forget us, they ignore us. And as we think about them, sometimes they're like the parable of the prodigal. They're only there for what they can get out of it. And when they see that we have nothing else to offer, they turn aside from us doesn't relegate the fact that we still need those personal relationships. We actually need more than Facebook friends. 
In the remaining time that we have together this morning, two things that I want to address. Number one is this. We need to have some guidelines to help us in our human relationships. And we can, in a 30-minute time frame, we can't say everything that we need to say about human relationships. We study that over a lifetime. We talk about that in many different sermons and Bible classes, but we need some guidelines in our relationships, don't we? And I think we have some guidelines that are laid out for us in the Scripture reading that we had this morning from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. You remember as Trace read it this morning, he began by saying, Do not be unequally yoked together. And he mentioned things in that passage in which he said that we are to be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. And, and as we notice that passage, you know what we think about a lot of times in that passage, I think? I think a lot of times when we read that passage, we see a negative passage that tells us some things not to have and not to do. Some things not to be in, in our relationship. And, and indeed, there are some negatives there, but looking at it from the other side, turning it around and looking at it, at it from a different angle, it speaks to us about good personal relationships. And so what, that's what we want to think about in, for just a few moments this morning. What are some of the things that, that we see when we look at that passage that will help us out? Number one, I think, is this. Your best personal relationships come uh, from those who have a common faith in Jesus. Uh, they are like you in the fact that they have a Savior in Jesus Christ and they believe in His Word. And they want to teach the same things that Jesus teaches. They believe the same things that you teach and that you believe in your own life. You have that personal uh, uh, bond with them because of the common faith that you have together. Now, there are at least four ways that uh, building these kinds of relationships are good for us and they, they help us out. Uh, those relationships with the people who are of a, a common faith with us. Here are some of the things that, that we should remember. This kind of relationship helps us to be more effective for Christ. When we have friends who are like that, when we have our closest relationships who are there, it helps us to be more effective for Christ. Now what do you mean by that? Well, go back to that first part of that passage there in the book of 2 Corinthians. Do not be unequally yoked together. You know, in our day and time, we probably don't catch as much about that as those people to whom Jesus had it spoken through the Apostle Paul did back in his day. And even some of our grandparents or great-grandparents, they probably would have caught it a little better than what maybe we do today. Because what he's talking about when he says don't be unequally yoked together is he's talking about perhaps a team of oxen or a team of horses that are pulling together. Now, obviously, even though we don't know as much about it or understand, don't see it in our regular daily lives as much as those who in time past have, obviously we would know that if we're going to plow, we would not hook one horse to a plow or one mule to a plow and him headed this way and another one and him headed the other way. 
would we? Uh, what would we get if that was the case? Well, you'd have them pulling against each other. And that doesn't make things really effective. How many of you have ever seen, I, I know they do uh, some of these tractor pulls and truck pulls differently in, in some cases, but how many of you have ever seen, perhaps on the internet or something, two trucks that are hooked together that are pulling against each other? You know, maybe a Ford and a Chevrolet or a Dodge and a, uh, something else, and you got them hooked together. How many of you have ever seen tug of war? You know, I remember back in high school, we have field day, you know, once a year, and, and we'd have uh, one grade and have a team from one grade who would be pulling against another team from a different grade, and that's sort of what you have. You don't really make a lot of progress, do you? But if you're pulling together, you can do so much more. And so in this work metaphor, with the animals being yoked together, pulling a cart or a wagon or a plow, you want them pulling with each other rather than pulling against each other. You know, if you're yoked with someone who doesn't have the same priorities in life that you have, uh, who... who do not want to accomplish the same things in life that you want to accomplish. You don't really get a long way. But if you do have those who are pulling in the same direction, who have the same priorities, who are seeking to accomplish the same things that you are, you do much better. Let me see if I can illustrate. How many of you, and you young people in particular, who have been on campaign? How many of you have forged friendships and relationships with, with people who have gone on campaign with you? That you call and you talk to, or maybe even Facebook with, or whatever kind of thing. Why do you have good friendships with folks like that? Because you're pulling in the same Direction. And that's what we as a church ought to have. That's how we build the church up, is we build the relationships between each other up. It allows us to be more effective when we build our relationships in that direction. Not only that, but it also allows our relationship with Christ to become more accurately reflected to other folks. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Well, that's verse 15 of this passage here in 2 Corinthians, chapter number 6. What do we have? If your main relationships, think about it this way, are with thieves, guess what you'll become identified as? Even, even if you've never stolen a thing, if your main relationships are with thieves, People will begin to look at you and think of you as a thief. Young folks, if, you're, if your main relationships are with those who are into sex and drugs and drinking and all of those kinds of things, then what do people think about you? I mean, if that's the people you hang around with, 
that you're always there with, that what do people think about you? But in the same way, if your main relationships are with those who share faith in Christ, and they work to live it out in their everyday life, even when they're in their jobs or at school or whatever the daily grind might be, you begin to become identified as a follower of Christ. And so forging the relationships with those of a common faith help us to more accurately reflect our own relationship with Christ. Not only that, but it allows you to show the world that you belong to God. You belong to Him. Again, notice in that passage, verse number 16 this time, where God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 16. Verse 18 says it this way. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You see, we're a part of His family and we're not ashamed of it. We belong to Him. But then again, it allows us also to safeguard against sinful behavior in our life. Therefore go out from their midst, be separate from them, says the Lord, touch no unclean thing. You know, we have a word for that. It's called accountability. Accountability. You know, one of the greatest benefits of a healthy relationship with others that are of common faith in Christ is accountability. That's one of the, one of the greatest benefits. You know, one of the hardest benefits, or one of the hardest things, rather, about a healthy relationship with others who have a common faith, it's called accountability. You see, they encourage us to do the things that are right. They discourage us from doing the things that are wrong. Sometimes, that's not what we want to hear, is it? That's not what we want people to say. That we need to be better and act better and act more like our Father. We would rather hear people who agree with us all the time and just encourage us no matter what. But that's not what we need. You see, we're still weak individuals. We still need some safeguards in our life because we're going to mess up every once in a while. None of us are perfect. We never will be. We need somebody to help us stay on that straight and narrow path. That's a part of this personal relationship, human relationships that God wants us to have. And so forging those relationships with those of a common faith help us in that way. But that brings me to the second point this morning, and that's this. Mark, are you telling me that I can't have non-Christian friends? It seems to be what you're saying when you read... There in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, don't be unequally yoked. And you said 
that, that we are to forge friendships with those of a common faith, does it mean that I can't have non-Christian friends? In the book of Luke, chapter 7, at verse 34, the Bible says it this way. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, they, they accused Jesus of being a sinner because he was with sinners. And I sort of said, you know, that's one of the things that we don't want a while ago. But why did he do it? Why did he do it? We'll come back to that in a second. Think of another verse. This one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world, or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since you then would need to go out of the world. Paul seems to say that we can't get completely away from those who are sinful folks without saying to the world, stop, let me get off. So what's the answer? Are you telling me no? No, I'm telling you this. Your deepest, most defining relationships would be, should be with those of a common faith in Christ. But the point of having non-Christian friends isn't just so we can have one foot in the world and the other foot in heaven. The point of having non-Christian friends is the same as that of Jesus who came, Luke chapter 19 at verse 10, to seek and save those who were being lost. You see, your hope is that somehow you can influence others for Jesus. Not to be like them, not to participate in the things that they participate in, Never did Jesus commit one sin, not even when he was with sinners. And that's where we get all mixed up sometimes. We think when we're with our friends, we need to do the, what our friends are doing. But if we're with Christian friends, that may be pretty good. If we're with non-Christian friends, it may not be so good. That's where we would want them to be like us as we follow our Lord. Our hope should be to influence others in our human relationships that we have. I read a story as I was preparing for this lesson about a young man who was in high school. He was a freshman in high school. And he told about one Friday as he was going home from school getting ready to go out with some friends before he went to a football game, how he saw this other freshman who was on his way walking home from school, and he was carrying what looked to be all of his books. And he said, I couldn't help but think, what kind of nerd carries his books, all of his books, home on a Friday afternoon? 
He said, well, about that time, there were some guys who came running up to him and slapped him and knocked his books out of his hands and knocked him down and knocked his glasses off and all of that. And he said, I decided I was going to help out. And so he went over, ran over to him and found his glasses for him and helped him pick up his books. He said, as I was standing there, I couldn't help but notice that there was a tear streaming down his face. And so he said, you know, those guys are jerks. They need to get a life. The young man who had been knocked down simply said, thanks. Over the next four years, as they were going through their high school years, they became friends, and when they became seniors in high school, they were getting ready to go to college. The young man who had lifted the other up was going to Duke on a football scholarship, and the other guy was going to Columbia to be a doctor. It just so happened that the young man who had been knocked down was the valedictorian of the class, and so he was making his speech. And in his speech, he said this, Graduation is a time to thank those people who helped you make it through those tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I'm here to tell you all, or here to tell all of you, that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give them. I'm going to tell you a story. And then he began to relate in his speech how as a freshman he had decided that life was not worth living. And he had decided to take everything in his locker home one Friday afternoon. And once he got home, he was going to end his life by his own hand. The books were knocked from his hands. The glasses were knocked from his face. But one young man picked up his books, picked up his glasses, and recognized him as a friend. And then he spoke these words. Thankfully, I was saved. My friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. You know, for someone to decide to end his or her own life would truly be tragic. But folks, it would be an even greater tragedy if someone that we cared about died without Christ. Facing eternity without God. 
There are many folks in our world who have been knocked down. They've lost their glasses. They can't find their way. Those folks need more than a Facebook friend. Those folks need someone to pick up their glasses and speak some kind words. They need someone to be a true friend. A true friend, a real friend. You see, they remain true regardless of the risk of being ostracized themselves. Real friends pray for us when other people speak out against us. Real friends will take our very names before the throne of God in heaven. When other people wouldn't do anything but kick us on into the pit. But real friendship requires some things. It requires an investment of time. It requires us to sometimes be inconvenienced. It requires us to be willing to sometimes get our hands dirty. But thank God for real friends. Not just the Facebook kind. God knew the importance of human relationships in our lives. Therefore, we thank Him for the truest friend of all who came and laid down His life for every one of us. He wants to be your friend today, just as you are a friend to someone else. He wants to be your friend. And He says, you can be my friend if you do what I tell you. Obey His commandments. Today it may be that as you have been knocked down by sin, you need it to be washed away from your life. And it can be by the blood of Jesus Christ. You meet that blood today by being buried with Him, immersed in the watery grave of baptism. It may be that you've studied and you know that's what you need to do today. If you do, we'd love to help you. It may be today that you've become a Christian but there's something just not right in your life. You need a friend to pick you up. Or maybe you need to determine that you're going to be the right kind of friend to someone else. If we can assist you in any way this morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, do it right now as together we stand and sing. There's a fountain free, tis for you and me. Let us haste, oh, haste to its brink. 
Tis the fount of love from the source above, and He bids us all freely drink. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul. Hear the welcome call. Tis a fountain open for all. There's a living stream with a crystal gleam from the throne of life. Now it flows while the waters roll. Let the weary soul hear the call that forth freely goes. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul. Hear the welcome call. Tis a fountain open for all. There's a rock that's cleft, and no soul is left that may not its pure water share. Tis for you and me, and its stream I see. Let us hasten joyfully there. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul. Hear the welcome call. Tis a fountain open for all. If you would be seated at this time. I am mine no more. I am mine no more. I've been bought with blood. I am mine no more. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And He rules my life. Jesus is my Lord. He will come again. He will come again. And He'll take me home. He will come again for I am mine no more I am mine no more 
I've been bought with blood. I am mine no It takes a lot of courage to be able to step out in the aisle and come forward when the Lord's invitation is extended. Sister Abby Banks has responded to the Lord's invitation 